Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, good morning. Uh, Peter is uh, joining us this morning. My name is Bob Hughes. I am the co-host of the show. He is uh, maybe away enjoying himself, but uh, we will get along just fine. Rob will be joining us shortly, uh, understanding the law again. Uh, something that uh, Peter J. Lamont Esquire and his law firm perform as their community, uh, computer, community outreach program where folks can uh, call in. Again, the, the number, if you'd like to call in, is listed in the podcast if you're listening uh, or, of course, you can always contact the show via uh, the phone by dialing. I'm going to bring that number up here for you shortly. <laughs> the number is oh eight excuse me four seven eight five five eighty eight thirty one. We'll jump right to the news and see what's going on here in the world of legal decisions. And again, we will be joined shortly by Robin Bull, who is. Uh, I'm already here, Bob. Hey, there she is. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I am okay. Welcome aboard. Did you just get on? Uh, I've been on for a minute or two. I was having some technical difficulties getting everything up and running. Understandable. Yeah, it's not uh, not as easy as it always looks. You know, sitting over here, all I have to do is make a phone call. I don't have to push all the buttons you have to push. Right. <laughs> How was your weekend? It was good. How was yours? Not bad. I've washed myself of all the work I did this weekend, not only physically but mentally, and I'm back in the studio today. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, gosh. Did, I, I'm not sure if I gave out the, the right information as far as if, if any listeners want to call in. Do you have that information handy, Robin? Absolutely. The guest call-in number for anyone that wants to call in now or later in the show is 347 855 8831. They should also be able to dial in via Skype if they use, uh, if they go through blogtalkradio.com. Um, they should be able to get right in. We don't have any callers at this time. And as always, the first person that does call in does win the free coffee mug. I'm going to hang up and call back. <laughs> right? <laughs> I want the coffee mug. Oh no! It should be uh, should be an interesting show again. I, uh, Peter is out of town, so he's got you uh, sitting in the, in the chair today, which would be a lot of fun. Um, the as far as the legal news, we went through it a little bit uh, during the weekend and, and kind of recapped everything that went on last week. Um, a, busy, a busy week, definitely, and, and one thing kind of popped out, which will which I'll kind of, in my eyes, kind of go to the top, which I'll let you know later on when we get to that story. But it always gets interesting. So, uh, jumping Absolutely. into that, yeah, ABAJournal.com 
tell this 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 is one of those things I can't believe this guy even did this. A pro se defendant, which is someone, if you don't know, defends himself, is being held in contempt and getting 180 days for refusing to approach the bench at a trial. Defend himself at a suburban Chicago jury trial earlier this month on charges related to his alleged cultivation of 19 months at home and didn't turn out well for Scott Hockster. The 32-year-old refused to identify himself on July 15th and declined to approach the bench as instructed. Judge Cole held him in contempt at that time in county case and sentenced him to 180 days, according to the Daily Herald. With good behavior, of course, the sentence could be cut in half. Hochstetter also charged with aggravated battery to a police officer after a sheriff's report is tough. He scuffled with court officers when handcuffed him. I've been by a judge before. <laughs> Robin, you probably, I don't know if you're on the, the receiving end of it, judge decides to tell you exactly how it goes. <laughs> it's not very fun. This guy's not in his right mind. He may have been high at the, uh, <laughs> at the court case. He, he definitely had a hard time, but what a lot of people don't seem to understand is even if you appear on your own without an attorney, which is often not the best choice to make in the no. entire world, <laughs> you still have to know the court rules and you still have to abide by those court rules. And if you don't, the judge can and will take care of business. So <laughs> for those it, that are going not to like choose... It's, a, it's not like it's a big secret. Anyone who's watched any kind of courtroom television, you'd think would exactly. know how to act. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, even... Even the simplest request, if they want you to approach the bench, just approach the bench. <laughs> <laughs> and you made a good point. You know, it's kind of funny. Was it was it Mark Twain that said, "He who defends himself is a fool for a, for a client." Isn't that how it went? There are a lot, there are even many judges that still hold that to be truth. That those who represent themselves, you know, they have a client for a fool. They have a fool for a client. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's just uh, not a good call. I mean, I think even, you know, a lot of people just go through traffic cases and, and even, some, you know, simple, simple things, even this, still probably just a, a good idea to get someone involved. I mean, wouldn't you say? Um, you know, I, I suppose that what it would really depend upon is what the charge is going to be. If it's something as simple as a traffic ticket, probably not, unless you are like this guy and prone to getting into fights with police officers, which is <laughs> never a good idea. So, oh, man. Well, it's, it sounds like this guy, you know, he's definitely not in his right mind at, at any point between the point where he may have committed something to all the way through to uh, showing up in court. But uh, he'll have his day again in another six months. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, you know, it, it it appears that, you know, a lot of people kind of out of their minds last week when it came to properly executing life. A man run over by his own truck, <laughs> by his own truck, with DUI after an alleged rage incident, telling us that in a double whammy for a home, allegedly involved in a rage incident Tuesday evening of last week, police in Gainesville, Florida, Joseph Carl, 48, charged with drunken driving after being run over by his own cup truck. The incident sparked when Carl rear-ended a vehicle shortly before 7 p.m., according to police reports. Carl is accused of exiting the 1500 pickup and banging on the driver's side window of the other vehicle. Apparently, he forgot to put the truck in park. When the woman drove away, the truck decided to roll and ran him over, according to the Gainesville Sun. 
Now, in fashion, he declined to give a breath sample at the scene and then subsequently failed field safety test and was arrested. He was for foot and hand fracture at the University of Florida Health Shan Hospital, where he was also found to have a .22 blood alcohol level, nearly triple of the state's legal limit. Oh, man, if you're going to do stupid things, just stop it on, I think, sometimes. <laughs> right, absolutely. He's very lucky that the only person he really ended up injuring was more or less himself at that point. And the thing that I didn't wasn't aware of is that, you know, does he or will he or liable is he in the road rage incident? I don't know what the situation was him going up and banging on the driver's side window of the other vehicle, but how in line with the law is that? Um, it's generally never a good idea because at that point you, you don't really know what the other person has in their car. I'm, I'm not an attorney. I am a paralegal by trade, but it's generally a good idea if someone approaches your vehicle, stay in the vehicle. You don't know what they have or if they're even on anything, such as this person. And if you're upset with someone, you still need to stay in your vehicle. If it's that big of a deal for you, call the police because you don't know what the other person has inside their vehicle. And, and this man is lucky that he really didn't injure anyone other than himself. Well, you made a good point. Even you know, you look at yeah, three times. (laughs) But you made a really good point. Actually, you think back about it. You're talking about Florida here. Uh, A couple years ago, I think we had a little problem with the stand your ground law. I mean, that very easily could have gotten ugly quick. Absolutely. And the thing, one thing that I noticed because in Oklahoma, our stand your ground law is a little bit different. Um, I know that in Florida. One of the things that I read about whenever I taught criminal law was the standard ground law in Florida is a little bit different. You have to flee, and you can't return to the scene, which is the unfortunate truth of what's happened to Marissa Alexander, who is sitting in a jail cell because she fired warning shots at her abusive ex-husband. Yes, yes. Um, in Oklahoma, it's not quite that way. We, you know, if, if we're, we still feel like we're in fear, we can do something about it. Here it's called more along the lines of a castle doctrine or a make-my-day law. So you have to be really careful whenever you're going to approach someone because you don't really know the fine lines of that law. It's like last week when we talked about a man last Thursday in Texas who was able to use the law to justify murdering a woman. So you Uh have to be very, very careful about these laws and make sure that you don't get yourself into a really bad situation. (laughs) Well, I think you probably gave, you know, the best situations, you know, you don't know what the other person's going to do and just – Exactly. Tread lightly. Right. <laughs> Especially when you've had a few too many. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. And it's not all about the criminal law today. Actually, we've got some um, – and this one you'll find interesting. I'm not sure um, how much of the, the, um, the legal uh, business law you deal with, Robin, but in their, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority is suing a restaurant over a lookalike logo. According to NJLawJournal.com, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority filing a federal lawsuit against the Florida chain of two New Jersey-themed pizza places claiming the restaurant's yellow and green logo too closely represented the Garden State Parkway sign, according to the New Jersey Law Journal, which first reported this. If you've seen these laws, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. The authority suit filed last week alleges service market, unfair competition, and other claims against Jersey Boardwalk Pizza. The restaurant's logo has the same green and yellow color scheme 
including an outline of the state as the parkway sign, but on the Rustogo, instead of it reading Garden State Parkway, it's been replaced by Jersey Boardwalk Pizza Company with the words subs, cheesesteaks, and below that. Sue claiming the restaurant's logo is so similar to the Parkway sign as to give the impression that the two are linked. They are obviously not, the journal said. Now, co-owner Skip Parrott saying it's hysterical. He used to live in New Jersey, and he says, we're all the way down on the floor of Keys. It's not like people are going to confuse us. Pratt uh, and his brother-in-law, Paul DiMatteo, also a New Jersey transplant, opened their first restaurant 10 years ago. Uh, coming after someone down here, he said 1,300 miles away, a little ridiculous. But the already notes uh, the restaurant is actively working to franchise the brand and presumably the logo, which is not just about some pizza joint in the Florida Keys, a spokesman for the authority adds. Now, in addition to compensatory and treble damage, the authority wants the restaurant to surrender the trademark and turn over any merchandise emblazoned with the logo. Uh, <laughs> this, this does kind of, you know, they're, they're small. Right now, you know, how close can you get to people when it comes to their trademark and in, in, in rebranding your own image? I mean, how close can they you get? Know, apparently, apparently you can't get very close because what you're essentially talking <laughs> about here, in addition to the shape of a sign is a color scheme. So at what point do we start making the determination of who can use what colors and, and who has the right to use those colors? Let me ask you this. If, it was, if they were only looking to stay down in Florida, would it be an issue or are they trying to go national? Does that create a bigger problem or is it a problem across the board? It, it, it could eventually create a problem if this is not settled. They may end up having to change their logo I don't know. A lot of that will depend on how a judge will see it because, you know, with a franchise, the thing with a franchise agreement and your franchise disclosure, when you sign up to purchase a franchise, you have to use what they tell you to use, and you have to market sure. the way that they tell you to market. So until this is resolved, I don't think they're going to be branching out and, and offering franchises anytime soon. But it's absolutely silly for a turnpike authority to take issue with a pizza parlor who's using <laughs> a logo that is similar. Who knows, you know, maybe they will confuse and they think they're going to get better service from the Turnpike Authority. <laughs> yeah, the Turnpike gets faster, but oh, by the way, here's your your bill for tolls as well as your pizza. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't quite uh, look the same. Like say, if, if, anyway, Dan already like have a trademark. So I guess if Robin jumps back on, we can ask her about that. Um, and moving along, uh, the ABAJournal dot com. This is a large, larger discussion as well. Oh, it's just not only this story, and it's happened in a few states. Execution taking nearly two hours. First hour, execution of an Arizona inmate took nearly two hours on Wednesday, continuing even after his lawyers filed an emergency request to the procedure. Witness saying convicted double murderer Joseph Rudolph Wood, still trying to figure out why all killers end up with three names, snorted right. and gasped for yeah, Harvey Oswald. <laughs> yeah. Snorted and gasped for breath during the lengthy execution. The state corrections department disputed that characterization, saying in the statement that would snore deeply, but did not grimace or move. For more 
than an hour after the execution began, the federal public defender dispatched two lawyers an emergency motion seeking halt. She said, has been speaking for an hour for a she said she ordered and died in a lawful manner and did not suffer. Arizona uses the sedative, um, I guess it's called mitazolam, and the painkiller hydromorphone, which is a form of morphine in the execution, morphine kind of taking care of the pain. Uh, Wood had claimed a First Amendment right to information about the sources of the drugs and their manufacturers to his execution, the credentials of the executioners who would use them, and the development of the state's drug protocol. In that word, even saying, you know what, just shoot the guy when they ruled on his First Amendment right to know all the, the sources of the drugs. So, I mean, this is a big thing going on, Robin. Was it Oklahoma that had the problem earlier this year? We did. We did have an, okay. a problem with that, and there's still a lot of discussion and debate um, going on. We had a man who he essentially raped and beat a young girl. She literally had just graduated high school not too long beforehand, he raped her, he beat her, and he buried her alive, and she begged for mercy. And no one seems to want to remember those key facts. All they want to do is sure. refer to it as a botched execution, but is it really botched when it gets the job done? You're dealing with people who at some point were declared to have committed this crime by a judge. They have exhausted their appeals. Should they be shown the same amount of mercy or any mercy at all when they chose not to show any to their victims? California had a federal judge recently ban that, put a ban on the death penalty, stating that it was cruel and unusual, but it wasn't for the actual mode of execution. It ended up being for the weight that they have between the time they are sentenced and the time that they die. Well, by all means, let's speed that up. I'm all for it. Absolutely. I, I really like what one of the judges had to say in this particular case was, we could pretty much do away with these botched executions if you just want to bring back the firing squad. <laughs> Did one of the judges also mention a guillotine? Yes, it was the same judge. It was the same judge. Oh, that. He, he basically said that he didn't think that our society would accept or approve of that because of the method, but it would still be a foolproof way to take care of business. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, that judge there, he's a problem solver. I like that guy. Right. <laughs> but that's, you know, but, you know, when you talked about, you know, the cruel and unusual punishment and, and whether or not, you know, I think, you know, there's two sides of the, the argument, and one is that any type of, of execution is going to be cruel and unusual punishment. And the other side is, hey, you know what, like what you had said, look what this person did. Is there anything cruel? Absolutely, and and that's really a big thing that that people seem to forget, and a lot of people think, well, an eye for an eye, that you're really not supposed to do that. It doesn't solve anything, but for a lot of families that are left behind, it does make them feel like justice has been served, and until you're really in that situation, it's it's really a tough area. It's kind of great for the rest of us when we haven't been there. That's a great point, yeah. Until you've walked in those shoes, yeah, good point. Um, the question, I guess, do you think, or is, 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 as we get into more and more states having problems with the drugs, is there going to be a larger push for an all-out all federal ban on executions via drugs? There, there very well could be, because when you think about these drugs and the fact that they're coming from different manufacturers, and, and what is the goal of manufacturing? It's to produce large quantities of things faster and cheaper. 
Sure. And so at some point we have to we really do have to worry about what is being missed that these things are happening. Um because then it leads us to think about other things where steps could be being missed when it comes to the production of other drugs that are going to come out to the rest of us and possibly cause problems. Yeah, the old better, faster, cheaper, not always the best case. You're starting to speak about trying to keep people healthy or apparently right. put them down. Right. <laughs> the uh, uh, Sports, no, no uh, stranger to the news last week when it came to uh, legal headlines. Arena Football League, a little bit smaller than the NFL, saying a team's ex-owner has played a nasty trick. Chicago, <laughs> this is out of Chicago, excuse me, housenews.com. Is that a gruntled, excuse me, disgruntled former owner of the Orlando Orlando Predators? Uh, I'm not used to saying that. It's not the Detroit Lions. <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> An arena football team redirected the team's website to the Florida Sexual Offenders and Predators website, and his team was kicked out of the league. The football league claims in court. The <laughs> arena football one suing the Orlando Predators sports group and the former team, team owner, David Pearsall, in Cook Card. The OPSG's termination, Pearsall, uh, happened. Pearsall changed all administrative codes for the OrlandoPredators.com, effectively blocking all access by parties, including directors, officers, and employees who previously had access, and <laughs> routed it to the Florida Enforcement <laughs> website. AF1 has requested new... Fit all administrative codes relating to the Orlando Predators, and of course failing to comply with such requests. Now, the FF is a team of barriers and calls offensive to the fan and its league. On Friday morning, the website OrlandoPredators.com still directed this to the Florida Law Enforcement Informational website on sexual predators. The league seeking an injunction and images. I've got to worry about what I'm doing. <laughs> when you fire a judge uh, in this particular case, um, removed from a league, <laughs> there'll be uh, being shown. I'm trying to get on that website right now, and unfortunately uh, it doesn't look like uh, it's still up and running. That That's probably a good thing, because I, I sit here and I listen to this, and it just boggles my mind that someone would really stoop to such low practices to redirect a page to something so vicious. <laughs> and then the fact that it has taken this long to fix it, it's not that hard. Go to Odesk and hire someone. Get it fixed. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not, not too difficult, you'd think. But you got the, uh, the ISP. Or, I'm sure someone could uh, go outside the lines and back into the um, Absolutely, the... especially if you could prove who owns the site. I, I would think that it wouldn't be too terribly hard. But then again, on the other hand, you may want the site left up because you want to present it in court. It's really sort of a wow, just wow. Yeah, I can't even find their website online, so I'm not even sure where it is. Now, have you ever been fired from a job? No. Which is an essential 
you know, hey, if you have, we're just here, um, you know, get on there. I have been, and it was a situation, neither here nor there, it was over the phone. Um, I was running a warehouse network, and, and my boss called me, and we talked about it. He says, yeah, i got to come over and fire you. I said, I won't be here when you come. And, and so on my way out the door, <laughs> I, I kind of formatted the hard drive on my computer. Only and kind of. uh, as malicious as that was, <laughs> only kind of, yeah. Are you sure to do that? You know, it asked you the question, are you sure you want to? Yeah, I think it do. Launched <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't quite as malicious. as There were paper records, so they could have found anything they wanted to. They just had to leave through files to do it. But obviously these, this guy not happy with being removed from the league. Um you know, from a stamp, does he have a thing to do uh, a report and just knock it off, or is there really something that be bigger come out of this? That's really something that, you know, that a judge will eventually be the person to decide that because you're essentially sure. you're taking a team and a website and you're redirecting it to, to something that shows some people that really are seen as the least among us. You know, we – we really take people who are on those websites, and those are the people that you really don't want anything to do with. So the fact that you're taking a professional team, even if it's not one that is an NFL team, and you're basically trying to give them that image, it's probably not mm-hmm. a good idea for you to do in front of a judge. <laughs> he he yeah, may be joining our friend doing the 180 days in a jail cell if he's not careful. <laughs> Well, you know what, and it's it's um, you know you get into that and and you know and how what their what their contractual obligations are, and the next story I have is to deal with contracting and and making sure you're covered. Or leave something, I think. Um, a model is suing a rock and roll photographer for basically breach of contract. Courthouse News reporting that model Natalie White claims that underworld photographer Peter Beard breached an agreement to give her giant Polaroid shots of several. Supermodels. Beard's models made him famous, helped launch White's career after discovering her in a New York City night spot when she was 17. In a July 20 lawsuit in New York County Supreme Court, she's describing herself as Beard's longtime friend and collaborator, well, apparently not anymore. Williams of 70 asked her to fund a giant photo collage because he desperately needed the money, so she gave him all his money. Or all, excuse me. She invested her life savings into two photo shoots of supermodels Pam Anderson, Helena Christian, and others, according to the lawsuit. Mr. White and Miss w- Mr. Beard and Miss White agreed to some compensation for her for supporting financially and seeing the shot. It said first 25 from complaint. Mr. Beard, however, failed to live up to his end of the bargain. Although he initially completed three pieces from the first shoot and 13 pieces from the second shoot, he didn't provide her with the additional 34 pieces which she is due. White seeking compensatory and punitive damages for breach of contract, breach of faith, property estoppel, quantum merit, and on and on and on. She just wants Beard, uh, Beard also barred from entering into consignment agreement with any of the other pieces of their part. The story is that they actually had tracked. And, and I don't know, and even as you threw a couple of other stories on, on, online, um, it doesn't really, there was a contract in any of those. Either. Is this where more about a, a, a verbal agreement? I'm not sure 
exactly what's going on here. Have you had a chance to go through this one? Well, I I did look at the story, and in most areas, Mm -hmm. even with a business agreement, an oral agreement is still considered a contract, and so she very well could be within her rights, and they're going to seek out any means necessary and any remedy necessary to try and get her what she believes that she is due in court, and it's cutting out some on my side, and I I can't remember if I read it or if I heard you talk about it, Um, but another remedy that she may end up having is specific performance where the court basically goes and enforces him to give her what he said he would do. Okay. And so, so yeah, specific performance, is that a, a, a term in relation to what he had promised her for? Is that it? Right, right. When someone breaches an agreement, um, if you file a breach of contract, and generally speaking, it, it honestly it depends on the type of contract and everything else that goes in it, but a lot of the times one of the remedies that you can ask for ends up being breach of contract or for specific performance, and, and that's where the court essentially makes the person do what they said they would do under the agreement. Okay, okay. And so that's kind of where it sits right now is this guy's probably going to have to produce – what she, what he Something. promised her, and, and he's not going to be able to go anywhere else and get it done. So it all depends on whether or not the court is going to find that it's an actual agreement. Absolutely, and and I'm willing to bet they probably that the court will say that they did because there is a long-standing history uh, of them having previous agreements and of her funding different projects and working with him, and and even as the story said, she did collaborate with him in the past. And so, and, and for anyone that's this to a general situation instead of this specific one, from a general situation, basically, if you're, like you had said, a verbal agreement can be bound. Absolutely. Okay. Now, and that's, you know, and there's probably some, I don't want to, I guess, what, how do I, if you start taking the direction of what you verbally agreed to, would that kind of proof that, yeah, you probably did agree to it? I think so, but at the end of the day, it would be up to the judge. But if if you start, you know, doing things, that, and you see it on these court shows like we talked about earlier, you know, when you see things on mm-hmm. court shows, you see that all the time, and the judges say, okay, well, you're telling me that you're saying that you didn't promise to pay this person back $500, then why have you given them $50 a week for the past two months? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so they, they they have no answer, and so it leads the court to believe that, yeah, he probably did, and he was making the effort. He decided to stop. Right. Okay. 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 So it's it's I see what you're saying. Okay. So it's 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 not necessarily only about what was agreed to. It's also what you, the actions you take after the supposed agreement. Yes. Okay. I yeah, think okay. That yeah. Will so that play a big part in this case, or the actions that he has taken towards fulfilling an agreement. Okay, yeah, because he did take three pieces. Uh, he was initially completed three pieces from a first shoot and 13 from a second shoot, so he's obviously been in that direction. So we'll right. find out what happens with that. So, um, You know, you think that um, some things are common sense and some things aren't, and some things too collapse. Uh, Hampshire driver breaking for some ducklings but gets a $100 ticket because of it. Uh, find, findlaw.com tells us a story about Haley I'm going to go with Bibbo, B-I-B-E-A-U, 33 of Newfields, New Hampshire. She's driving New Hampshire's Route 101 when she saw a mother duck and a group of ducklings trying to cross the road. 
Bibeau slammed on her brakes and pulled to the side into the median of the roadway. The mothers of the ducklings, unfortunately, were hit by another car reporting Manchester's UMUR-TV. When Bibeau noticed that several of the ducking, ducklings were still alive, she got out of her car to try to do the right thing, or at least she'd think so. Bibeau got out of her car and was able to rescue two remaining survivors. As did so, an ambulance on its way to a different incident stopped to see if she needed help. <laughs> talk about possibly. Well, she explained the situation to the ambulance driver. A New Hampshire state trooper also decided to stop, but he wasn't there to help. Instead, he issued Bibeau a $100 citation for stopping her car in the median. Under New Hampshire law, stopping, standing, or parked vehicle between roadways of a divided highway is prohibited, with the exception of emergency vehicles or when necessary to avoid conflict with other traffic, which I think she would kind of done. As New Hampshire State Police Lieutenant Armanigan told WR, the law is designed to keep medians free for emergency situations and stopping for an injured duck or ducklings is not what we decided would be considered to be an emergency. Bebo says she plans to fight the ticket in court, but she also told WMUR that she'd do the same thing all over again, even if she has to pay the fine. At that point, I'd say just pay the fine and don't fight it, but... You know, you, you read what the law reads, it's, it's to avoid conflict with other traffic. Isn't that what she's doing? Not necessarily. She wasn't stopping mm-hmm. and pulling off into the median to stop from hitting another vehicle. She was pulling over ah. so that she, too, would not hit those ducks. I think it's great what she did. I probably would have done the same thing. But in the same regard, you know, we, we do have laws, and but it, I have a feeling that's one of those laws that a lot of people really don't know about, and even though she broke the law, I think the officer was a little bit out of line giving a $100 ticket. She wasn't necessarily, <laughs> to my knowledge, blocking anything or really causing a problem other than trying to get the ducks across. Sure, yeah. Well, and that's I, I, here in Michigan, on, on you see Nevada, they have a sign that says emergency vehicles only on the sign, so it's kind of posted. But uh, like you had said, here, I don't think this guy or, or, or the officer didn't have to give a ticket. No, know, he very well easily could have said, hey, you know what you're doing is not legal. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, the, the other thing to think about, too, would be from an insurance perspective. If In Oklahoma, we, we have a lot of deers that jump out into the roadway, and I know it's like that all over the nation. If you swerve to avoid an animal and you hit, say, a telephone pole, all of a sudden you're in an at-fault accident. Whereas if you were to just hit that animal as sad as that would be, then it falls under a different part of your insurance coverage as a no-fault collision. <laughs> Michigan may be like that as well. Um, I, I think it's standard on most insurance policies. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah under comprehensive and, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think the judge is going to do? She says she's going to fight this ticket. What's the judge going to do here? Is he going to see things logically? One never really knows. He, She's probably going to just end up having to pay this fine. <laughs> now, do they? I wonder. I know Michigan has it. I don't know if other states have it. You can take a, a a ticket under advisement if it's a moving violation. Just pay the fine. But don't get the points on your license. That's that's a state by state thing. I, I think she would yeah. be very smart to look into that though to make sure that she <laughs> didn't end up with any points over ducks. <laughs> at least she could have done was at least take. Taking the larger duck home and had a lovely dinner for the hundred dollars. There you go. Make sure you use this given to. <laughs> That's right. Make some lemonade out of it. Right. <laughs> well, 
little closer to Peter's realm up in Pennsylvania. And this I didn't I didn't know, and and I guess uh, you may you may have heard of, of different situations like this, but in a Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling that there is no duty to disclose murder suicides to home buyers if you're buying the home. The rule ruled the homeowner has no duty to disclose tragic incidents to potential buyers. To PenLive.com, the state's high court ruled this past week that the sale of a house that was has the backdrop of a murder-suicide did not require the owner to tell the buyers about it. The Pennsylvania's Millican versus Giacono involved a house sold in 2007, despite the sellers never mentioning that a man had killed his wife and himself in the very same home in 2006. The sellers had even consulted attorneys beforehand leaving the murder-suicide off of the home's list of defects. But upon learning of the murder-suicide, the buyer turned around and sued the sellers for fraud, negligent misrepresentation, and violation of Pennsylvania's unfair trade practices and consumer protection law. In general, it is illegal to sell a home with material defects, which are known to the seller. The question here becomes, uh, does the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decide whether or not a home's murderous history was a material defect or not. In the looking case, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court determined that despite the potential impact a psychological stigma may have on the value of a property, it does not constitute a material defect. In other words, the home's history, as set in a, even a gruesome murder site, is not something material to the actual condition of the property. To take murders and other tra- tragic events into account would create an unwieldy burden on the seller to disclose, disclose any event with psychological impact with a connection to the home. And at that point, would have to sell to disclose rapes or other items, but not satanic rituals. Is this more, you know, when you start talking about material defects, you know, what about, I guess, the, the public view, or I guess it really doesn't matter in this case. Is this pretty much a widely held response that, Something happens in your house. That's not a problem. It's what's wrong with the house. Is this just a well, local? you know, one? the real world view is we would all love to know if something like that happened in our home because, on one hand, we should have the right to that information. But what stopped the buyer from looking into that history for themselves? They have just buyer much beware. responsibility to look into exactly, and they have just as much sure. responsibility to look into those things. And the fact of the matter is, as sad as a murder-suicide is in a home, that is not a material defect. Nothing in that home made someone kill someone else and then themselves. Not a single beam in that house whispered to them in their sleep to do these things. That is not a material defect. <laughs> uh, we have to look back at the Amityville uh, Horror Exactly. <laughs> I, I thought about that when I read the case. And we recently moved out of a home that had four bedrooms. It was huge. We paid very little for rent where it was at. It was lovely. Um, part of the problem is that the home did have some structural defects that were starting to show, and we decided with three kids, probably not the best place if someone's upstairs bedroom fell through into the living room. And then about two weeks later, we found out that human bones had been found in the backyard no. next door. So if we're going to pull the we need to know all of these things, shouldn't the landlord maybe have found a way to tell us something that maybe they didn't know? Whoa. Yeah, yeah. 
you, 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 well, the thing that is that I'm glad it was Gacy. And I think it was John Wayne Gacy had, had buried bodies, bodies in the basement of his home or in the crawl space. That might be considered a material defect, yeah? And Well, you know, it depends on how long they've been <laughs> under there. Has it caused any damage? And, and the fact of the matter is there are people out there that would love to buy those homes. Oh, so, gosh, yes, there are. Absolutely. So it's, like I said, on one hand, these are things that we all should know just because it's really the right thing to do. But on the other hand, we have just as much responsibility if we're looking to purchase a property, looking into the history of that property. And the Internet is a wonderful thing. It's not like you can't look around and find out. And then you go on, or you go back to the Orlando Panthers or, excuse me, Predators situation. I know that's one thing when I bought my last home. I went on to Michigan's, uh, it's called MIPSOR, it's the state sex offender registry, to right. who in the area of the house I was buying had, you know, decided that, that they decided they liked the little kids and be aware of it. And I, I still go on it on a regular basis to see if someone's in the area. Like you say, the Internet is going to provide you a lot of information. You just have to be uh, motivated enough to find out. Absolutely. So, yeah, buyer, buyer beware probably is the biggest <laughs> Absolutely. The, the biggest predicate on that one. Uh, ducks all over news this week. And Iraq veterans, therapy ducks, have run afoul of law in Ohio. Findlaw.com telling us that an Ohio veteran's unconventional form of therapy is ruffling some legal feathers. He's been cited for owning therapy ducks. Iraq veteran Darren Welker of West Lafayette is facing a misdemeanor for owning 14 ducks, despite the fact that he claims they're therapeutic for his PTSD and back injury. Not sure how the back injury plays in the case there. But in 2010, lawmakers in West Lafayette enacted ordinance preventing chickens, turkeys, ducks, live poultry, or fowl of any kind from being kept legally in the village. In fact, the only live animals that are allowed to live in the village outside of humans, dogs, cats, gerbilsters, guinea pigs, certain birds, and mice. According to the law, violating this ordinance ordinance is a minor misdemeanor, and each day the animals are kept in violation is a separate offense. If you've gone for a week, you've got seven different offenses. Welker has reported to Koshakton Municipal Court after um, hearing of this for a hearing on his 14 illegal therapy ducks. Now, precedent coming here, other animals... The Star reporting that Coshocton City Council had approved legal change owing one potted parcel. Of course, for the doctor's notice, does not be with with having his ducks around, wouldn't you say? You know, I think a lot of what this is going to hinge on is when these ducks were brought into play. You can't necessarily decide that something is illegal for someone who has them before the law was enacted. I I can't necessarily mm-hmm. decide I want to make a law against red cars and retroact it to everyone that bought a red car before we made it illegal. So I think that's really going to have a, end up being important. And the other thing is if these ducks are helping him and you brought up the back injury, a lot of that is probably due to the fact that being out there with the ducks relaxes him. And we all know that when you relax, your muscles aren't nearly as tense. So it very uh-huh. well could be... Point. It very well could be said that these ducks are helpful to him. And, you know, do we really 
want to take that away from someone who went and fought for our country, I think that's a little far-fetched to want to take away a bunch of dust. You're not talking about roosters that are crowing at 4.30 in the morning. You're talking about oh, dust. Oh, sure. <laughs> now, with, with the pot, in reference to the pot-bellied pig, and you know, let's say they allow the duck in, is the door open now to anything, or do you think that if they're going to have to do anything, they've got to prove a, a, a I don't say a use, but a, a, a legit reason outside of just I want to have I think eventually that what it will boil down to is that they're able to prove that they need this animal for therapeutic reasons there are animals that are available Um, you know you can obviously get a service dog or a service pet if you're blind or if you have a physical disability and some are trained for other illnesses and sicknesses as well And then there are also animals that are trained to be what's generally known in society as an emotional support animal. They're relatively controversial. People that have service dogs get a little offended and upset when people choose to have an animal declared as an emotional support pet. So I think, though, that maybe what ends up coming down in this case is that you're going to have to show that there is a need, including if it were a potbelly pig. You know, different people are attracted to different sorts of animals. My middle son has a pet rat, so it it really just it's going to end up depending on how they decide to interpret this. But I I think at the end of the day, what will end up happening is they'll look and make the determination of what's really needed in the situation. Because I I think we would all be able to say that we would much rather that people turn to animals and things of that nature than always have to depend on other means to relieve their stress. Which could be drugs or alcohol. Right. Sure. Now, I just hope your middle child decides to go into the psychological sciences versus the biological sciences with his rat. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, the, uh, you know, this kid here, I'm going to talk about Philip Chisholm for a second. Uh, we'll tell you who he is in a second. But he's charged with, first of all, with calling his teacher. Now he's facing another separate attempted murder charge. CNM telling us that Philip Chisholm, he's a 15-year-old Massachusetts boy, accused of raping and killing his math teacher in a high school bathroom. He was arraigned this past Wednesday on attempted murder charges stemming from a separate attack on a female youth services clinician. Probably laid out the narrative of what they said was the defendant tend to murder a female employee last month of the Dorchester Department of Youth Services was held pending trial. The judge set a separate bond of a million dollars and ordered him not to have contact with witnesses, including the victim. Now, according to a district, excuse me, assistant district attorney, Mark Zanini, on June 2nd, Chisholm in the facility in room, a stammer seated stationed behind a half wall and was able to look down into the room to supervise him. Beyond the staffer was a hallway used by staff. At some point, the 29-year-old female victim, whom Chisholm had known for several months, walked down the hallway and entered a bathroom inside of a staff locker room, according to a statement. Chisholm was confident the other staffer was distracted, kicked his sandals, made noise on the floor, before moving toward the hallway in a crouched position that kept him out of the staffer's view, Zanini said in the arraignment. Chisholm had a pencil in his hand and opened the door to the locker room, according to that statement as well. When the female clinician came out of the bathroom, she started her foot away and placed his hands around her neck and began to choke her. Uh, now, this is all something he has done while in incarceration. 
Uh, Chisholm was with attempted murder by strangulation in this particular situation, assault with intent to murder, and kidnapping, along with two assault and battery up in the pencil and a cylinder block wall. Now, he's this kid, I don't know if he's ever going to move on. What the, what, what's, 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 what's the remedy here on this kid? You know, we don't. We don't really know, I think, what's going to end up happening in this case, because if I remember correctly, too, when I read this story, I believe that he was declared to be someone that could stand for an adult trial. Um, I may be oh. wrong in that in that case, but I believe I read that over the weekend. One of the things that will end up happening is they will call in forensic psychologists and other forensic experts to look and make the determination of, of what's really going on with him. Because one of the things is, you know, when you're 15, even if you're making adult decisions, you can't really see five inches past your own nose. Your brain doesn't really yeah. stop growing or changing until you're in your 20s. And so I'm, I'm definitely not saying let this kid out, but if you have someone that has this violent propensity, why was he able to be up and moving around where he posed such a danger to this other woman that is now dead because of him. Well, he, if he ever get, does get out, because, um, again, being 15, I know there was a case in Pontiac, Michigan, with a uh, teen that had killed someone, and at 20 he got out. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember charging the time around, but at 21 he was record was expunged and he was released. He ended up right back up in jail. And, of course, the up in arms was, this kid never should have gotten out in the first place. Um, if, if this kid ever does get out at 21, if they decide that, hey, he was a kid and it wasn't his fault per se, uh, he rec- uh, ends up being uh, um, a reprender, especially in a violent situation. What, what's what's going to be the down the the follow from this? Unfortunately, we don't really know, and we won't know until we cross that bridge because they're. You know, one of the big things is you can't really force anyone to take their medication. And if they decide that that this child, because he is a child, he's only 15, is mentally ill, they may be able to pull something to where he has to take medication to get through trial so that he can help with his own defense. But once he's out of the system and out of care, you can't really force anyone to take their medication. And so you really put yourself back into a bad situation with society because you're letting someone back out. Unfortunately, we don't have enough facilities to really treat these problems, and there are people that have these awful feelings. You know, Andrea Yates, she got really lucky with the fact oh. that there was a state institution to take her in. Because of yeah, someone good, like that, we're really about her, society. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, she was the mother in Houston with the kids in the tub, correct? Right, right. And and it was eventually proven that what she did was due to severe yeah. mental illness. And, but the fact remains, even though she's under treatment and even if she agreed to take her medicine every day after she were released, that would still be an unsafe environment for her to be in. And here you have a 15-year-old who who, again, is a minor, so that makes them a child, but their name is already known to the media because of what they've done. You know, unfortunately, we do have a lot of vigilante justice in our society. Sure. Oh, no, absolutely. 
That's going to be interesting to see what happens with that poor child. Absolutely. That's for sure. Not right. Um, well, moving on to a lighter subject, and this is um, one of those, another one of those large, I say media, media circus items right now. Is a judging Colorado on same-sex marriage is unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. Speaking problem this morning. Uh, Jurist.org telling us a federal judge in the U.S. District Court for the District of Colorado struck down Colorado's ban on same-sex marriage as unconstitutional, but he elected to stay his ruling until August 25th, pending an appeal to a higher court. Wednesday, Wednesday's ruling in favor of six same-sex couples who brought it to the 2006 marriage and in the fines between a man and a woman. An appeal is already filed with the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Tenth Circuit, where a pair of rulings upheld the right to marry for same-sex couples in Utah and Oklahoma in the previous month. The Office of the Colorado Attorney General, John Southers, filed an appeal one hour after Wednesday's ruling was finalized, and he continues to defend his position against the issuance of same-sex marriage licenses. The Supreme Court down Section 3 of DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, last year, many federal courts have declared state sex marriage bans unconstitutional. Is this, I don't know if it's an, um, an ex- exercise in futility, but at what point does, in agreement or not agreement with what it is, um, the court, the federal court, the Supreme Court, ruling that state same-sex marriage bans are unconstitutional, how is any state going to successfully uh, ban a same-sex marriage? At the end of the day, they're not necessarily going to be able to continue to defend the ban because I know that recently I read one state, they're basically continuing to say, and I want to say it was Utah, but I could be wrong, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, was that same-sex couples cannot have babies. Well, that may be true at least to a point. You know, Two men together can't have a biological child. Two women together can't necessarily have a biological child. But you have millions of people who are straight that also can't have children. Are we going to start banning marriage for them as well? The answer is no. Because at the end of the day, adoption still exists. Fostering still exists. And those are children that could use two-parent homes. And it really doesn't matter the sex of the parent. That's not what is going to make a difference in the lives of these children. And... You have residents of each individual state who are essentially being denied something based on their private bedroom activity. I can't necessarily go out and ban people who are mean from doing something that I enjoy doing. They still have the same rights to society that I have. And so we have to be really careful because when we're talking about marriage and things of that nature, many people see it as a religious covenant. And to some degree it is for a lot of people, but at on the other hand, it's not the church where you get your marriage license from. It's the state. This is a legal binding contract entered in between two people where it is filed with the state. This is not something that really should be subject to someone's religious preference. That's a good point. Yeah, no. Here's a side note to this. Something I noticed that even here in Michigan, something happened, and I see the Colorado AG doing this thing is you have a state and you have a populace that supports an issue. And in this particular mm-hmm. instance, it's a ban on gay marriages. The court goes through and, and finds it unconstitutional. The AG then files a, uh, an appeal. 
I think a lot of people give the AG, and, and sometimes it may be learned, a hard time based on, oh, you're trying to defend this law. Well, it's not their call to choose whether or not they want to defend the law. They have to defend the law, unlike other offices at higher right now in the, in the country where chief executor isn't enforcing the laws. Is this a situation where, you know, an AG is just doing their job saying, hey, the will of the people says I have to do this now because this is the process. Uh, do you think that's speaking, happening? Uh, maybe to a point, but you're talking about elected officials, and they're going to make the argument of whichever way is going to get them the most votes. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> That's their job is to get reelected, isn't it? Absolutely. Someone's looking to keep their job. <laughs> so it, that probably happens no matter, like you say, any elected official at any level is going to do what they deem it versus sometimes versus what they shouldn't do. Right. Um, and, and along that line, excuse me, that this is popular or not that they should or shouldn't do it, President Obama signing an order on LGBT job discrimination. President Barack Obama on Monday signed an executive order by federal contractors from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. The order also explicitly bans discrimination against transgender government. The order does not include a religious-based exception, despite pressure from some religious leaders following the U.S. Supreme Court decision Hobby Lobby case in June. It does, however, leave in place a vision from a 2002 executive order signed by then-President George W. Bush that allows religiously affiliated parents to discriminate based on religious beliefs. What a mess. Although the Equal Opportunity Commission ruling in 2012 that transgender discrimination was covered and the federal government's ban on sex discrimination Many say that that rule has not been enforced and discrimination has continued. Uh, legislation banning employment discrimination of being gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals is still legal in three states. Uh, they had basically legislation passed last year, but House of Representatives not bringing it to a vote. Now, this whole thing about another executive order situation, so I'm sure that's going to be on one child, but it be make sense not to discriminate against someone because of how they are, the choices they make outside of work. Um, and it, I don't see that it falls in line with the Hobby Lobby case because the Hobby case is a situation where you're putting based on versus here you're, you're denying someone the right to a, a based on their choice or you know there's a line there and I'm not I'm not articulating it well but I I hope you understand what I'm saying. I do. I get what you're saying. Essentially, what they're, what I think they're trying to do, and again, I'm not an attorney, is they're trying to stop what could, what Hobby Lobby has turned into a potentially dangerous slope. What you're talking about with Hobby Lobby is a legal entity. You know, corporation is its own legal person. Right. It's a closely held entity. It has been declared that it is okay for that to have a religion. You're not talking about individuals and that it's okay if their their beliefs reach over and touch their employees and stop their employees from making life choices that they would rather have. And while Hobby Lobby does provide certain forms of contraception, 
They're not providing all forms of contraception that may work better for some women than for others. And so the general fear was, okay, well, if Hobby Lobby has this broad overreaching stretch where they can make the determination of who should have what sort of contraception according to their own insurance coverage, which, as we all know, those with insurance, you're either working for it or you're paying for it out of pocket. But either way, that is a benefit that's provided to you. So at this point, what would stop a closely held corporation that has a religion from firing people who are gay or transgendered at that point, sure. based off of a sure. religious preference. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it, it it sure seems common sense to me. I mean, whether whether or not you or I believe it should be one way or the other, that's not the point. It seems to be right. it, it makes it seems to make sense that you know, gosh and golly, you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate. If they discrimination is not going to happen, absolutely, it's going to happen. It's just not going to be talked about as a reason. Absolutely, and you can make as many laws and sign as many executive orders as you want to sign. It's not necessarily going to stop anything. You know, and women and men alike have dealt with that regardless of laws that are in place to stop sexual harassment. It still happens at work. It still happens when you're out in public. It's not necessarily acceptable by any stretch of the imagination, but regardless of law, it still happens. And so to think that signing an executive order or even something into law I think it's a good thing that we're providing these coverages based no longer just on gender or perception of gender, but also on sexual orientation. That's a great thing. I'm absolutely all for it. But to think that only doing this, that doing this will stop all forms of discrimination, it's it's just not going to happen. Sure. No, that's, that's, that's a dream world. And, you know, you take something like that that makes a lot of sense, and you come to something that I'm going to talk about, which doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> Or at least to me. Uh, I agree. <laughs> We're saying that the FDA is not required to hold it on Ambed. Journal document telling us that circuit portable rules do not require the touch lanes animal disappointment and a setback for public health. As far as Kevin Nachman is concerned, he is a food production and public health researcher at the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future and a faculty member at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. According to Mr. Nachman, still in touch with cyclines are necessary and commonly prescribed antibiotics used to treat a variety of infections in people. Now, he directs the center's food production and public health program. He says if they lose their effectiveness, many infections used to be easily treatable will become far more dangerous and costly to treat. That makes sense. Experts say that there is overwhelming scientific evidence linking the continued use of antibiotics in food animals to rising antibiotic resistance in humans. If the FDA were required to hold drug manufacturers, would have to prove that giving antibiotics to food animals for non-medicinal purposes is safe. Now, studies show that the practice of feeding antibiotics to animals for purposes other than treating or controlling disease unnecessarily contributes to the development of bacteria that are resistant to drugs such as penicillin and tetracyclines used for treating common infections in humans. Again, this is this is a situation that looks like that basically where you have to the drug companies are going to be held their feet are going to be held to the fire. They're not they're walking away scot free again. You know, and and I think that's. It irritates me when those things happen because if I take any of my three children to the doctor and I'm told they have a virus 
clearly I'm not going to put them on an antibiotic because it's not going to do them any good. There's a difference between a virus and a bacteria. Yeah. So to stop them, from, and I have in the past, I will admit, my middle child used to get rather sickly when he was little. If they thought he may develop something because he's already sick, I've been known to go ahead and agree to a round of precursory antibiotics because sure. knowing his history, he could get sick. Um, sure. But with that said, that's something that we have to be very careful with, and we don't need to be pumping animals, especially if we're going to eat them full of antibiotics because you are just asking for viruses and bacteria that aren't going to be treated by these other things. And that's that's frightening. And then if, if it's okay to give them antibiotics, then isn't it at some point going to be okay to continue to give them hormones and steroids? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and I guess the thing that kind of jumps out at me here is whether or not this is the, the last stop on this particular issue or if it goes further on. I mean, it's... Second, second, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals is the thing. I mean, is the Supreme Court next for any if they want to continue with this? Well, the Supreme Court, that someone can file it at the Supreme Court. It doesn't mean that the Supreme Court will necessarily choose to hear it. Right. Good Much point. like yeah, how point. they declined gay marriage for quite some time. Yeah. So. so there you go, yeah. Well, I don't know if there's a solution to this, but uh, that sure flew in the face of all which makes sense. I mean, why not just say, hey, you know what, guys, if – if you you say giving these antibiotics to food animals are safe, prove it. But they're exactly, not and and if you can prove it, you know what do you have to fear? If if you know that you're right, what do you have to fear by a little bit of of evidence? Because if you're able to show that evidence, people are going to be more willingly <laughs> exactly. trust you in the future. And that's so. fortunate. Mm-hmm. I don't believe so. I'm. It's it's um, it, it opens up a whole different uh, conversation. <laughs> it it does. It does. The, the, the Alex Jones of the world <laughs> jumping in on this, but I have no no cause to argue with them. <laughs> and the right. right wants me. It's not just some work awarded and pages. New York Journal of <laughs> New York Law Journal dot com telling us about a Manhattan judge that has awarded more than sixty thousand dollars to two food cart workers, feeling that they were owed unpaid overtime and illegally forced to pay tickets that should have gone to the cart owners. Uh, Sport Judge Andrea Maisley found in a July eleventh order that Mohammed Tajal Islam and Saeed Saraji had proven their claims under New York's labor law, he just claims under the Federal Standards Act. Now, these two guys both worked in various food trucks in New York City, controlled by Mohammed Anwar Hussein and his wife, Salma Hussein, and their mother, excuse me, his mother, Muhammad Khatun. Uh, now, the two guys who had organized filed separate laws, allegedly were not open, and they made ticket violations that, that weren't their fault. Cases were put together in trial. Now, the football worker employees are entitled to overtime pay that they never received. Now, Mr. Hossein's defense was ignorance. The court saying that Mr. Hossein's ignorance on basic law, labor laws will not shield him from penalties associated with complying with the law. I think I once had a judge tell me ignorance is no excuse for disobeying the laws to use. <laughs> so, That's right. I mean, is this... <laughs> Pay the ticket. Is this a situation where you start buying for this? I mean, was a contract employee 
and who is an actual employee and the, the different labor practices between those two classifications? In some instances, it really can be a fine line. I am, for most people that I work with, I am primarily a contract employee, even if I am paid on an hourly basis. I do my own taxes. I, I take care of all of these things. I primarily work from home. Um, there was a case not long ago I talked about to one of the classes. I, I taught employment law for paralegals about a year ago, and we discussed a case where some strippers sued a strip club, and they were awarded things like back pay and overtime and all of these. Even though they had signed an, an independent contractor's agreement, the judge disagreed that they were individual employees, that they were on their own, and sided with them, basically stating no. You know, whether or not they've signed this independent contractor agreement, they are still your employees. Some of it hinges on how they're treated, things that they're doing, and then in some instances, like I'm a sole proprietor, I do not have an FEIN, I work solely for myself, I do not hire any employees. If I wanted to actually hire an employee, I need to go and apply and get a federal employer identification number. And ignorance is just no excuse of the law. If you're going to hire someone and bring them onto your business, that creates a fiduciary contract. You you have your principal and your agency agreement. You've got someone, you're the principal, you're paying someone to do something on your behalf, even if they're just your contract employee. And so you have to know the laws in those cases, and those laws do generally vary state to state. You think a lot of times when you have situations like this, you have a, a guy who owns a couple carts and a couple guys that work for this guy, that sometimes is a way to circumvent the tax system and to get away from certain legal responsibilities. Um, because you know you you know it's it's, it's that it's that cash under the under the radar that nobody sees. Nobody's going to come out until you have a patient like this. Owners to this, um, unjustifiably stop paying. I think in some cases, yes, you you will always have the people that want to circumvent the law. I know that one of the things that we do as a selling point, those of us that oh. do freelance work, oh, is we tell, <laughs> we tell potential employee, employers that you, you know, you're cutting down an over, overhead because you're using someone that's not going to work primarily from your physical location. You're not responsible for paying workers' comp to cover us because we're not there. You're not required to spend out the money to have an accountant take care of the taxes that have to do with us because it's something that we do on our own. And so you do end up, though, getting people who decide they want to hire contract employees and just not report what they're paying out, even though they're still supposed to report the money that they give to independent contractors because that's how independent contractors then turn around and report their wages, too. Yeah, so and that, that's going to continue to happen. <laughs> look at this thing. You're going to invent this. not updating. That's okay. But yeah, if you're going to, if you're, if you're not going to things right, make sure you, you, you. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if you're going to run a business, you need to know the law. Stable that are going to do things right as well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> 
the law. And I really want your take on this, Robin, because as I read through the headlines this week, this makes me think of me, and this is probably, in my eyes, the most important thing you can do when it comes to your stuff and your business uh, legal because once gone, you can't. Casey Kim. <laughs> his kids think his wife has moved to the body of where her boyfriend may be. For more than a few months, they have to see her. Her daughter, she's a real one. They still know the case of her father's body. 